Welcome to A Novel Take with Ken and Ollie. In this episode, we will be discussing Yanis Varoufakis' first novel, Another Now, Dispatches from an Alternative Present. Varoufakis is best known for his role in the Greek debt crisis, serving as finance minister for the left-wing Syriza party during the EU bailout negotiations in 2015, and for his popular books on economics such as Adults in the Room and Talking to My Daughter About the Economy. In Another Now, Varoufakis tries something a bit different to his past work. Marrying a philosophical dialogue with a financial sci-fi, he presents alternate visions of the world's economic future. The first is the one we're all familiar with, austerity, inequality and the dominance of corporate oligarchies. In the other, the stock market no longer exists, neither do commercial banks. Data technology has been democratised, as has land ownership and credit and lending. If you think it sounds too good to be true, that's because it is. But then again, before we can change the world, we've got to imagine, I suppose, an alternate future, which is what Varoufakis tries to do here. So, Kenneth, before we get into the technicalities of this world that he has created for us to imagine, how does the plot and the narrative structure go forward? So the book is basically structured as a series of dialogues which help to sort of elucidate the key ideas here. But you're right, Ollie, there is a sort of uh, facade of plot, so I'll try and give a brief (laughs) overview of that. Um, So basically the story follows three friends, Iris, Costa and Eva. Costa is a kind of maverick techie who's disillusioned with big tech. He's made a few million on the stock market, but he kind of hates himself for it. And he wants to use the powers of modern technology for for the greater good of all. Uh, Eva is a disillusioned ex-investment banker whose whole world collapsed around her in 2008. She's retreated to the UK where she is sort of grappling with herself, grappling with the fundamental economic ideas which she's prized so long. And then we have Iris, who is the kind of product of the old left, the anti-Thatcherite, who, disillusioned by Thatcher's eventual triumph, has become something of a recluse. And I think it's also important to mention with Iris that her principal problem with the left and with the old left is the the dominance of the patriarchy. She She's looking for an intersectional movement in which women can have as much of a say as men. Anyway, the plot develops from the fact that Costa, using his, his wealth and his technical expertise, uh, is attempting to develop a machine which will allow human beings complete freedom, complete enjoyment of all the pleasures uh, of life imagined or not. It's kind of a virtual reality machine. However, having made the machine, uh, which is quite miraculous in and of itself, he becomes quite paranoid that big tech are going to steal it, they're going to commodify it and use this as another means of extorting money out of us gullible consumers. Therefore, he, he develops a security system and through um, some kind of technological mishap, unwittingly uh, opens a wormhole to an alternative reality. An alternative reality in which the world fundamentally changed after 2008, in which we see democratised credit, in which we see um, employee ownership of firms. This fascinates him and he tells his, his friends and the three of them enter into this extended period of correspondence with their counterparts in the other now, as it's referred to throughout the book. At the end, we see some of them make the choice to move over to this other now, while some remain to grapple with our 
more flawed version of the of the present. Yeah, and he basically uses this story to explore some pretty wacky financial ideas. I mean, this is an alternate vision of capitalism. It's a capitalism that that's that is still market based. People still lend money to each other. Businesses still exist, but there's no stock market. So corporations and financial institutions can't buy shares of other companies that they don't own. And employees own one vote, one share in the companies that they work in. So it's a radically different type of capitalism. It's one that is democratized. Um, let's talk a bit then about what this world is and the features of it. Um, the first thing that struck me was the way that corporations are set up. You have a flat uh, hierarchy. You might have executives that are voted in to take charge of the company, but everyone has a vote and a share in who leads that company and everyone therefore has a same stake in that company. Um, but Varoufakis employs technology to create various systems and he draws a lot on game theory it seems to me as well so for example companies will determine with all their employees who should get the dividends the bonuses at the end of the year and they do this through a transparent voting system in which you allocate a set amount of credits to various people who you think as an employee have contributed most to the work in that company and everyone else does the same thing the key thing is that everyone can see who else has voted and for whom. So that if, say, two people collude and decide to give all their votes to the other person, everyone else can get suspicious about that. And it seems that this is also employed in the, the wider society. So it's a very ambitious uh, idea and it takes technology as its, uh, as its, its foundation. Uh, and it's the same with the central bank, it seems to me as well. Yeah, I think I think it's a very interesting uh, approach that Varoufakis takes. And, and actually something that struck me throughout is that he comes up with all these ideas that, that appear incredibly radical, but uh, they're, they're surprisingly difficult to dispute. I mean, you're going over them and you're thinking, surely this wouldn't work, surely this wouldn't. And I've got a couple of thoughts on, on why a lot of this, uh, a lot of what he proposes wouldn't work. But it's it's not as easy to dismantle as you'd think. And and actually, the the um, employee kind of peer bonus system that, that you just described, I, I know of companies in the real world that do that. And it does seem to be a relatively effective way of both uh, improving um, employees' experience of the company and, and making employees more keen to do their best for the company, as well as really fostering uh, stronger bonds between them. I think a general theme of the book is that if people are willing to forego their own personal um, sort of short-sighted, selfish self-interest and collaborate for the, the greater good, then a better future is possible. And and he, Varoufakis, um, argues that the means through which they do this is technology, as you said, it would be possible to have a system that would give complete transparency to these kind of things. Yeah, I agree. And I think while you're right that it does require an element of moral commitment, I do think though that he is trying to create systems 
of accountability and transparency that will incentivize people and tap into their self-interest. But one point that struck me in the broader society is the way credit is allocated. In the in our now stock markets uh, are the the marketplace where typically large institutions with access to privileged information and uh, already with large capital stocks will bid and compete for the uh, for a share of the profits of the largest companies in the world. In this world, there's no stock market. Mm-hmm. And loaning happens at uh, the lowest level. It's classic loaning. So you individuals will loan to others from their own capital accumulation. So this creates apparently a very democratized and fluid network of small businesses who are trading uh, rather than large corporations. But central to this is the government. And a question that is raised is where does the state come into this? In this alternate universe, the state seems to be little more than a central bank and everyone has an account with that central bank. And this is something, by the way, that is being talked about. I mean, Mark Carney was um, talking about this in his Reith lectures and um, the Bank of England um, is drawing up plans to, to allow consumers to open up accounts with the central bank. Um, so he, he's drawing on modern ideas about how uh, technology, uh, decentralized networks and um, so forth can be used to allow people a direct interface with, uh, with the, the, the economy rather than the uh, intermediary, which is the retail bank or the commercial bank. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a really interesting point, Ollie. I think there's a, there's a couple of things to explore there. Um, there there's the idea, as, as you said, so everyone has this central bank account, they call it a per cap account in the book, and it's basically split into to three areas. You've got um, your legacy fund, which is basically an amount of money given to all children at birth uh, to ensure that everyone has kind of a, a decent standard of living, which reminds me of the kind of uh, pension fund and the sovereign wealth fund that you see in, in the Scandinavian countries, particularly Norway currently. But I think, as you said, the more interesting one is there's the idea that not only does everyone bank with the central bank, but actually there's a dividend paid on a, on a regular basis by the central bank to every single citizen. Kind of this idea of universal basic income, which... I remember sort of a year or two ago was seen as quite a radical uh, proposition, but obviously with furlough payments and the, the state having to make massive interventions over the course of the corona crisis, I think we've seen this become much more of a part of the mainstream. And so we see what perhaps two or three years ago might have been a fanciful uh, utopian economic proposition is now actually something that we, we see in the real world. And it calls into question whether other ideas, as you said, the, the shareholderless uh, environment, could also be possible. And this also applies to land ownership and uh, basically most facets of the economy. But let's move on then to how this world has supposedly come about. Costa, the man who's built this machine, is in contact with his equivalent on the other side and they're exchanging little bit messages explaining how this world came about. It started with 2008 and the financial crisis then. Um, And it starts with grassroots movements like 
Occupy Wall Street, but it takes that idea much further. Yeah, absolutely. So instead of Occupy Wall Street, you have a, you have a number of groups. Uh, the the principal of which is a group called Ossify Capitalism, which effectively coordinates action against hedge funds. It it sort of reaches out to citizens, uh, both on a national and international level, to not allow their governments to lobby the banks, to to not um, allow for the huge bailouts to happen for the increased monopolization of the economies to happen because of course all throughout 2008 even though it was the large institutions that were failing by the end of it the largest institutions had an even greater share of the economy than they did prior to the crisis in this world it's, it's the opposite you see a real grassroots uh, movement spring up everywhere to take down these um, take down these corporations whether it's by uh, shorting shares owned by banks, whether it's by, uh, sorry, I'm forgetting the word, providing a kind of economic embargo on uh, on companies like Amazon by just refusing to buy their products for a day. Um, I think it's really interesting when we take into account what's been happening recently with Wall Street bets. Uh, it's just in the last week we've seen a kind of similar grassroots uh, movement on the internet try and take on the big economic players, though I don't know whether it's a kind of cautionary tale that proves that what Varoufakis is um, advocating could happen or whether actually it shows the weaknesses of these grassroots movements. Yeah, this was something that I um, was concerned about as well. I mean, for example, to what extent can the internet spontaneously mobilise grassroots movements? This is the question that uh, Varoufakis answers in the positive, yes, they can, especially in moments of political weakness, like in 2008. But it seems to me, and, and he comments on this, what actually happened in 2008 was that the governments of the world uh, doubled down and bailed out the banks, didn't proceed with any uh, criminal or civil sanctions on the behaviour of bankers. So the the organisations of power uh, drawed in to themselves and protected the prevailing order. Um, I mean, I am sceptical of the extent to which the internet can uh, bring people together in a in an organised enough way, in a coordinated enough way. And I think the Wall Street Bets story perhaps uh, exemplifies this to some degree. I mean, the demographic of the, the traders, for example, is primarily young uh, men. Um, some of them had some crazy stories that were sort of mortgaging their parents' houses. Um, so the, there was some crazy stuff going on and it was provocative and maybe you need that provocative energy of, of young people, especially those um, emboldened by what's circulating on the internet. But, um, I mean, I am sceptical of that um, overall. But I guess Varoufakis' point is that there are choices that we as individuals can make. Um, and in moments of political weakness, like in 2008... They, they have to be made. And this is something that's been talked about a lot in the terms of 2020. I mean, there's so much talk about green capitalism and um, uh, Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum last year was talking about the Great Reset. There's all this rhetoric. But I don't know how far that will, um, that, that will actually cause change because it's being, it's being driven by and marketed by the corporations themselves. It's it's that classic problem, isn't it? It's sort of whether or not it's better to try and dismantle 
uh, structures of oppression if we take that from the inside or whether you have to work outside of the systems lest you be yourself corrupted by the the forces and i think it's it's a really interesting question i agree that it's very difficult for um movements outside of these big institutions to sustain themselves i mean we've seen it with the wall street bets thing the, the wall street bets story where they they um, raised the price of certain stocks in order to really um, undermine hedge funds to cause large losses to hedge funds who were shorting stocks they, they did have short-term success but it's already fallen apart within about five days most of those people that bought shares are now very much in the red um having lost in some cases tens of thousands of dollars, even hundreds of thousands of dollars on these stock options. And as you mentioned, Ollie, prior to our conversation here, not only was there a lack of momentum and a lack of durability to the movement, but we also saw that the big institutions still have a power. Um, Robin Hood, for example, prevented the purchase of any more options. It's, it's a question of, of when these larger companies get involved how much power do the individuals have to stand up to them? And, and I'm, a, I'm a bit of a cynic, but I, I agree. I, I don't think there is much that individuals can do. And I think this idea of a grassroots opposition is fanciful. Let's, let's say that it happens, though, and that this world comes about. Varoufakis presents a world that is also flawed. This isn't a utopia. And he systematically engages with some of the problems one of them is about uh, human morality itself and what lies beneath the markets. There's a lot of talk about how capitalism corrupts human behavior, and there is a lot of truth to that, especially in its extremes. But Varoufakis also recognizes that there are there is an underpinning to human behavior in societies that uh, will will happen regardless of whether we're in a capitalist system or in this techno-syndicalist system, where we want to call it. And Iris brings us up in the context of patriarchy. So these democratized corporations, everyone has a vote, everyone can see what other people are doing, um, and resources and labor are allocated where they seem to be in common need. But within organizations, there are still people who are more persuasive and others who are not. There are those who can bully others into gaining positions of power, even within flat organizations. And Iris raises this in the context of patriarchy and the traditional male dominance of, um, of capitalist institutions. And so this world isn't perfect. And it raises a broader question, which is how far does capitalism deserve to survive it's the problem that iris raises and it's the reason why her equivalent in the other world comes back to ours which is that does capitalism deserve to be reformed through the tweaking of institutional structures which is what happens in this other now um, even if it still affects personal relationships between individuals and the sort of exchange mindset that they bring to those relationships. What Iris wants, the radical, is to actually overturn not only the capital markets, but the whole structure of behavior that underpins it. The idea that, that we should be exchanging things at all. She wants 
basically communism. Yeah. And I think I think it's a really interesting point. I think it's the the, the question which Varoufakis certainly grapples with, but it's impossible to find a good answer for. And it's it's this fundamental question of can you have any kind of economic system that is uh, bereft of these power dynamics? I mean, we we see it everywhere. It's it's this idea of can you have an authentic um, system of either equality or or even meritocracy. That's that's not coloured by uh, gender. That's that's not coloured by race. That's not coloured by. Um, I mean, even in, in ancient power. Greece, it should yeah. be power. Yeah, I think this is the you know, this is this is the idea. It was a point you were making before. You know, people um, people accumulate capital in the market, go into high paying jobs to get money and to have a great life, but fundamentally, it's also about having status. And this is something that Adam Smith recognised way back in the day, you know, Adam Smith saw that the only reason the barons and the aristocrats were willing to divert some of their resources to buying goods, fur clothing, um, commodities, was to boost their pride. Pride is at the centre of consumer culture. And that's, so capitalism is just, is just a way of expressing that basic arguably it's a human it's a human need or it's it's common to all human societies in some way or another um it's certainly true with uh in the context of what iris talks about but um it also creates problems for the system doesn't it because we don't live in a system where everyone respects everyone equally i mean that's not really possible beyond the confines of a, of a local community this is still taking place in a global economy and this society wants to deal with things like free riders. What, what what does this utopia do about the person who receives their per cap um, legacy um, account, which is the money they're given at birth to spend however they wish, although hopefully on things like education and improving themselves? Um, what does it do about about those people who will probably just take that money, live a decent life, and not contribute um, to the corporations which provide the tax dividends to the government, which they then pay into everyone's account. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a really interesting question, Ollie. I think that it's very difficult to prevent these free riders. Uh, it's something that's, that's kind of, of raised, certainly by uh, Eva, who's the ex-investment banker at several points in the book, is this question of, do people really deserve to to be equal? Does everyone deserve an equal stake? And I think she uses the example of what if you were to hire somebody uh, on a short-term contract to do something for your business? Should they really be given an equal say in, in, in the future of it? Should they really be given an equal share? And it's something that, that Varoufakis struggles with. You can see him kind of compromising at times where he's trying to, he's trying to square the circle of... Um, an economic system which is completely equal, uh, but which will also require kind of equal effort and equal participation. Yeah. One way he tries to do this is through what he calls the accumulation accounts, which is the sort of third type of bank account that everyone has, um, which which most closely mirrors our own. It's, it's just a, a normal bank account. And within that, you can have something like, which he calls democratized inequality, i.e., People are allowed to earn a little bit of extra money, as you said earlier, by loaning it. But he shows that that in itself leads to problems. There is a financial crisis in the other now, even though it's this utopian thing, because 
people try and exploit the system. They try and lend more than is possible. They, they come up with workarounds to get around the structures in place. And I think what he's showing us there is that no matter how perfect the system is, fundamentally there will always be human beings who try and, and undermine it uh, in their quest for status, in the quest to separate themselves from the pack, or simply to try and, and get by on the, the fruit of other people's labours. And it, while he, he makes some very good points in here, I, I don't think it's it's a problem that the Varifakis um, successfully resolves. Yeah, I think Eva's a great character for this, because while Iris is the radical uh, visionary, Eva's the, the, the woman of practice. She enters banking, gets disillusioned by it after the collapse of Lehman Brothers and leaves, but she's fundamentally a pragmatist, and her equivalent in the opposite world is also a pragmatist and, um, and is happy to work with um, the, the systems that are in place. But it reminds me of uh, another point about the, uh, the alternate universe, which is that it's developed some strong, stronger structures to deal with human behavior. Um, but it's also got a lot of work to do, and there are flaws within this world. The, the notable one is this idea that there was a monetary crisis, a crisis of debt that happened again in 2022 in the alternate universe. So basically, 2008 happened again. And this was because some unscrupulous people decided that they could actually use the uh, capital that they had accumulated in their own accounts to uh, sell the future profits of bits of property that they owned as individuals. And this gave rise to the same process of uh, speculation and the rise of the debt market that then collapsed as a bubble. Let's talk a bit about, finally, what this book says about our own society. And I think that's ultimately what it wants to do. It wants us to imagine a future to persuade us that it's one we want to aim for. It's a better version of what we have. And in doing so, it, it gave me at least some revelatory insights into what modern capitalism is doing it occurred to me that one of the arguments for commerce in its original conception people like adam smith were talking about commerce in the 18th century was that commerce brings people together it's actually a way of creating sociability and it's a way of making people more moral because they have an interest in maintaining good relationships with the people they trade with. And at a macro level, states have a better interest in maintaining peace with other states if they're trading. That was the idea. But now capitalism doesn't do that as much. And that's primarily because of technology. There's one phrase that Varoufakis uses, toxoplasmia, which basically means this idea that we can be uh, we can be taught to be uh, to to want what is against our interests, and he uses this in relation to Thomas, who's introduced later in the book, as um, a young impressionable um, teenager, really, who plays lots of video games, um, you know, sits in his basement, didn't really have a father figure, and he finds all this utopian stuff very jarring, he doesn't really understand it, and he's quite cynical about human behaviour. 
he is introduced, I think, as an exploration of what modern technology is doing to our generation, which is incentivizing us to go back again and again to our phones, to social media apps, and therefore it's commodifying our free time. It's commodifying our ability to use our free time to our own effect. And this is, I think, the real danger that he highlights and the social dilemma the documentary on Netflix also highlights, which is that capitalism is now no longer allowing us to satisfy our needs. It's actually putting a restraint around us and it's forcing us to repeat certain behaviours which are in the interests of the model. And so fundamentally, Varoufakis is highlighting a, a, a moral problem with capitalism, which is that it was supposed to increase our liberty and now... And now it's not quite doing that. It's fragmenting us insofar as, look at lockdown, we're, we're living our lives. Our interaction with the market now is through Amazon. It's through completely impersonal interactions with the Amazon delivery driver at the doorstep and just purchasing items that way rather than going to your local shop and actually socialising with them. But also it's a capitalism that relies on reducing the space for rational action and um, this ultimately is a threat to our ability to even imagine alternate futures and Thomas himself actually says that he would be happy to go into the machine that Costa has built, this machine that would grant ultimate desires, all desires at all times, he'd be happy to do that. So I guess the question that's really urgent at the end is like, do we the longer time goes on, the less capacity we have to to take action against the system that we're in. So at the end, Varoufakis is presenting, yes, a book about economics, but also fundamentally about morality, about how we should all live as individuals. And I think it'd be good to end on the final few pages of the book, which say that... It wasn't 2008 when we missed the stop. We missed the stop every day. And actually, that's a word of encouragement. We can make choices every day to try and rebuild our relationship with the outside world. This has been a novel take with Ken and Ollie. Thanks so much for listening. And we hope you can tune in to our next episode.